Good evening. My name is Vanessa Lovano, and I am so happy to be here. I remember when I was 13, my parents got divorced, and I moved from Miami to Columbia, my parents' home country, with my mom and my brother. This was at the end of the 1980s, and the situation was dire. There was armed conflict among left-wing guerrilla groups and right-wing paramilitaries, powerful drug cartels, and a pitifully weak government that didn't have the moral or ethical authority to combat violence and corruption and protect people's rights. The drug cartels planted bombs in neighborhoods, parks, shopping malls, and police stations to try to pressure the government authorities to break the extradition treaty between the United States and Colombia. One night, while I was sleeping, loud explosions woke me up. My mom ran into my room with my 10-year-old brother. She threw him on the bed next to me, covering us with her body to protect us from the shattered glass of our windows. I will never in my life forget that moment. Fast forward eight years later, I started working deep in the Amazon rainforest as a researcher with indigenous women leaders who were being threatened by terribly vicious paramilitary organizations that accused them of being informants for the guerrilla groups. They chopped heads off their victims and played soccer with them in front of their families. They pulled the hearts, considered sacred, out of the indigenous authorities and held them up to terrify the villagers who thought they were demons. Boys as young as eight were being kidnapped and forced to fight for the guerrillas. Young girls were being raped. But many of these women told me an inside story. They explained how they actually drove armed groups away from their homes. Hearing their dogs start to bark, they knew the paramilitaries were coming. They didn't have guns. They didn't have shields. They didn't have anything except their own bodies. And so they painted their faces, their arms, their legs, their naked breasts, and stood in their grass skirts like black statues between the paramilitaries and their village. Then they, then they linked arms, creating a human wall to protect their husbands and children. <coughs> the paramilitaries saw them and retreated in silence. This experience brought me back the memory of my mother as she protected my brother and me from the glass shattered from bo by bombs. That's how I realized that societies need to take advantage of the strength, the passion, and the creativity that women have when mediating conflicts within their families and communities. Tragically, this talent is almost never acknowledged or harnessed by those who organize formal peace negotiations. So today, I'm part of the National Women's Network, a formal coalition of organizations strengthening women's participation in all sectors. My goal is to make women's success at building peace more visible at high levels so that women's experience will be applied in Colombia's ongoing national peace process. And that's the common theme I've heard during this week here in Cambridge with some amazing women. For example, we have my new Afghan friend, Saraya Paksad, who <coughs> confronts high officials to make them support women's rights. She told me she once wondered, if my husband and I get arrested because I'm teaching girls to read, who will take care of our children? So she made a pact with other brave women that each would take over the childcare if their friends were arrested. 
and our mentor from the Philippines is Irene Santiago, one of the few women in the world with experience as a negotiator in a formal peace process who also organized a conference in Beijing for 30,000 women. We have Mariam Jalabi, who stepped up to help create the Syrian National Council, even knowing that the consensus can emerge quickly after 45 years of political oppression. And from Rwanda, we have Mathilde Mukantabana, who loved being a professor and teaching history until she realized that her country needed her even more to make history as ambassador of the US. I'm honored to be sharing this stage with Ambassador Hunt and these four other women from conflict regions who have remarkable stories to share with you. Can women stop war? You can judge for yourself. <laughs> Oh, Vanessa, thank you. Thank you, thank you for that. Yes. Uh, we've had a wonderful week. The, there are 15 or, of us here. and uh, In fact, in addition to us here on stage, may I ask the other women who've come from these five conflict areas, would you all stand, please, so we can all acknowledge you and be grateful to you? Thank you. I've been teaching here at the Kennedy School now since 97, and uh, I want to acknowledge my thanks to the Women in Public Policy program, which I got to found and direct for 10 years. They are co-sponsors here, as is the uh, Center for Public Leadership, as is the Carr Center for Human Rights, uh, and each one of you who come here um, year after year, some of you, you make this forum come alive. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. We've been having these meetings with women in conflict uh, areas for uh, many years, since 99, actually. And in addition, some of us who are here from the Institute for Inclusive Security, which I get to chair uh, in Washington, we work in the field. And we've worked in 40 conflict zones with thousands of women, but perhaps most importantly, with policymakers, thousands and thousands of policymakers who decide who's going to be at the peace table, who's going to be in the negotiations, who's going to get the funding. So it's a very highly leveraged kind of work. Now, that's enough said, except to tell you, I always do that. Uh, that's enough said except to tell you that, yes, women have a tremendous advantage in dealing with conflict. And here's the irony. They're often advantaged because they're second-class citizens. Isn't it wonderful to know something good comes from that? Uh, so they can work below the radar, whereas if they were men coming out and saying the same things and doing the same things, they would probably be shot on the spot. I see some heads nodding from the women who are in those situations, from Afghanistan and Colombia and elsewhere. Uh, they also have another advantage because they're particularly good at building bridges. And I hope that as we have our conversation, you can talk about that some, and also about the very, very high investment 
that women have as we think about, what shall I say, bringing life into the world. That's what women say to us over and over uh, as we do our research. We bring life into the world. We're highly invested in protecting that life. Oh, there are all kinds of other reasons that women are so particularly good at preventing war, at stopping war, at, uh, at stabilizing a situation afterwards because they're less corrupt, frankly, and they're perceived as less corrupt. But let me now be quiet and say to the audience, you all didn't come to hear me. You came to hear from these spectacular women. I would like us, rather than giving speeches, to simply have a conversation. So if you will, let me simply ask any of you, what is your experience, wherever you're from, and do you have the sense that women actually make a very big difference? Thank you, Ambassador Swani. And I begin. Uh, my name is Mathilde, and I represent Rwanda, United States. And I can say for sure that whatever progress that is spectacular that we have made in our country comes from women empowerment. We are a leading nation in the world when you talk about women representation. 64% of Congress people are, are women. And it, it changes the whole narrative. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. And myself, I'm, I'm a part of that history, like what Vanessa was saying, in women empowerment. So you, you don't have to talk about how you've seen women rise in the ministries and throughout the government. You are. You are one of the women. I'm part of that narrative of ascent. We have risen through the ranks. But I have to add, it's not just people in parliament or people in government. It's also women in, uh, in villages. Yeah. Women have spearheaded the effort to bring society together. Uh, women are on cancer to bring peace. So it's everywhere. It's, uh, it's from the bottom, it's from the top. So women have been influential in what our country has become. You know, I've made probably, I don't know, eight or ten trips to Rwanda. I have seen that over and over, just, just what you've said. I've seen it verified. I've talked to other people who've gone to Rwanda and seen the same thing. Uh, it's a spectacular story. Yeah. And when I talk with my friends who are going through the same conflict, I can say we represent hope. And I think this is a global thing, how women can shape a narrative of a country, even if, as we face conflicts all over the world, like right. in, uh, among my friends who are here. Right. I, I, I look at the ambassador and I'm smiling because um, I think she was offered or asked to be the ambassador of Rwanda to the United States. And I'm going, well, it's not the experience of many women. As um, I, I also had been doing a lot of grassroots organizing work, mobilizing women. But I said, you know, the decisions are made there. Those, that, that's, that's where they make the big decisions that have a big impact on our lives. I want to be there. But of course, they did not ask me like you were asked. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I, so, so uh, one day, the, the chair of the, of the uh, peace negotiating panel of the government asked me if I would be, I would support him. Support? Well, that's the same thing as under the radar screen, right? I did not want to be under the radar screen. Oh, that's so Irene. <laughs> you are so Irene, yes. So, yeah. Yeah. So I said, hmm, 
uh, okay, um, I want to be a member of the panel. I'm not going to support you. And so he said, okay. So that's another way is to be asked. Another way is to intimidate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Irene, is the panel, is that like the negotiating team? Yeah. Is that what that means? Yeah, that's the negotiating. That's a panel that negotiates. It's a five-member panel that negotiates with the Moro Islamic Liberation Front. It's also a five-member panel. So they've been... That has been going on for the past what, 15 years. And uh, and that was a Muslim group. That's part. That's the conflict in Mindanao. Yes, the conflict uh, in Mindanao. I was in the Boston Globe today, and it's like they've forgotten about Mindanao. They were uh, talking about Syria. They're talking about Afghanistan. <laughs> huh, we have a conflict in Mindanao. Uh, so so I said, let's shine a little light on on Mindanao. Mindanao is is in the southern Philippines, and. Um, the, there's been a, a demand from the Muslims who have called themselves Moros after Moors mm. because they were colonized by Spain and, and America. So this is still part of the, of the whole colonization experience. So they were uh, uh, taken over by the whole Philippine Republic, as it were. And so the fight is really a fight for self-determination. Uh -huh. um, the, the fight is really stop the colonization of the Philippine government of the Moros. Yeah, and I think we hear about it every now in terms of the beheadings also, mm -hmm. among the, the most extreme. Yeah, that's the most extreme, and that's yeah. really uh, more, more, more the bandits. Yes. Um, I have had a chance yeah. to work with the MILF, the Moro Islamic Liberation Front. Right. And it is, the, their demand for the right to self-determination is genuine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I think, as you say that, I, I get that sense. Even the way you said that, mm -hmm. their demand is genuine, mm -hmm. and don't be distracted by what is really bandits, mm -hmm. who, because it's mm -hmm. the bandits, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. beheadings that make the news mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. We don't we don't learn any, anything about mm -hmm. the fact that there is this mm -hmm. this group that has a right to self determination or mm -hmm. semi autonomous whatever. Yeah, which uh, is what the world does. Uh, Muslims, Muslims, they're all terrorists, <laughs> you know? So if this I group is also, they're Muslims, but they're terrorists, they're bandits. Yes, if I may <laughs> interject here, now you brought up the case yeah. of Syria, and it's completely connected to this, that now uh, the struggle in Syria is seen as a fight against terrorism, and there is that, there is this liberal um, regime that's actually uh, working within the international community to try to create peace while on the other side there are all of these terrorists that are running around and the case is not like that the case is that there's a genuine call for freedom and democracy by the people who are who stood against the government that was oppressing them and I want to really hear say that how inspired I am by the work that Rwanda has done by the space that it has given women it has given a lot of the um, the, the meek of the earth, the, the ones that did not have any power by creating councils, and they've worked all the way up and until now they're at 64% in parliament. It's the highest in the world. Okay. We are in the middle of crises now, and I look at them and I think in 20 years from now, are we going to be in a place where we can do something like that? And I feel very, very inspired, and I'm very hopeful that if they were able to do it in Rwanda, why not us? We can get there too. And now talking also to Irene and a lot of the other women that are here, I feel that this is something that she asked for is that when they came to her and told her, support us, she told, no, I want to be on the panel with you. I want to work with you. Something like that a little bit happened with me also, right, if I may tell please, the story please, a little bit, <laughs> is yeah. that uh, 
Uh, I remember when the coalition was formed, and I'm looking at the number and, of and, women and in what's it. What's the name of the coalition again? The, there was the, Syri the, the Syrian coalition, the National Coalition of the Syrian Opposition and Revolutionary Forces. Yeah, and Got that's, it right. that, sounds, <laughs> that sounds like a group who made up that title, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's a lot of the different people that are on yeah, the ground. Yeah. We had to make everybody happy, so yeah. we had to include everyone. Okay, in. so, so I interrupted you, I interrupted yeah. you. Please. No, so, so when I was asked to come and be part of the, the, to run the office for the coalition in New York uh, that's going to be part of the, working with the UN, uh, there was a part of me that was hesitant because I felt this is a group that is, are they actually like supportive of women? Are they going to give the right to women? Is this a group that I want to support? And then this is what happened to me is that I felt if I'm not going to work with them, if I'm not going to be pushing for the rights of women from within the coalition and be an active participant from the inside, then it's my fault too. Every one of us needs to step up to that responsibility if we think we can do something. And if we're not at the place where we feel that we can do it at that point in time, we will learn, we can get there. So this is something that I keep hearing now from Dawn. It's really inspiring and I feel we can yeah. accomplish something. Well, Mariam, I have to tell you, I thought I had it bad at a place where I teach. I won't mention names. Uh, <laughs> in terms of getting the whole women's piece into the study of international affairs. Yes. Uh, but I have read about when the coalition was formed, there were like 74, were there 74 members, did you, I have it, and, and you shouldn't say this publicly, okay? But <laughs> I, so I have heard that there was one woman mm -hmm. in the group, and then when they said, oh, we have to be more inclusive, and they expanded to 114 members, they went up to a whopping eight women. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so, you know, when, you know, I, it's interesting because we can either talk about women or we can be the women. Yeah. And, and that's what's so striking to me. And I do hope you'll keep talking about what women are doing, but I want to recognize that you are examples of the women actually doing it. I, so. if I, yeah, if I may say, because we were aware as women of what's happening, it's that we have been working on a project now. I'm part of the project, leading a project on creating a women's committee from within the coalition, inside the coalition. And I have happy news that we have the verbal approval for this that is about the inclusion of 30% at least of women in the decision-making processes. Mm -hmm. So we are hopeful that this will go even forward and will be included in all kinds of mediation, reconciliation, a transitional government that's going to be built in the future. Well, good for you. With the, with the, with the help of a lot of amazing men within the coalition yeah, sure. that have been helping us here in, um, in the U.S. and uh, in, in Turkey yeah. and all over the, from all of the coalition members. Yeah. I'm really, really glad you said that because it, it's very easy to get into a women versus men yes. kind of yeah. mentality uh, we really, I think it's, it's easy to slip into that, and, and there are spectacular men yes. who are working on behalf of elevating women. Yes. And there's some pretty wretched women out there <laughs> as well who, like, don't get it, right? And so let's, let's be real. Yeah. Uh, but when you do talk about women as a group and men as a group, there are some very significant differences. Maybe it's, maybe it's because of how we're socialized. Maybe some of it's hardwired, I don't know, or a co obviously it's a combination, but it is striking. It's so much fun 
to work with women, if I may say. So, <laughs> although I, some of my best friends are men. So <laughs> I've had a few men in my life. But it's we won't work. go there. It's we won't go there. That's not what this is together. about. It's a, it's a partnership that we need to work all together yeah. within one That's effort. Right. I feel that all women have so much work that we need to do and be active participants and agents of our own power. But at the same time, we do have to have the support of all of the men from around us in order to get there. And I'm really appreciative. Like, And I hear stories also. I was listening a little bit to Rose also the other day when she was talking about the men, her husband, who was supporting her when she had the kids. And she's going out into the fight and in the fields and all of the men that were behind her. So that's what we need from you, all the men out there, to support the woman get to the <laughs> places. Madame, if I interrupt you, then you're talking about the men. <laughs> so <laughs> I have many, though I have many programs in Afghanistan, uh, but the, the work that I, I, I really am involved with that and I love to do is to influence the decision-making uh, people. And you know the decision-making people in Afghanistan are men. <laughs> so you have to influence them to advance women's rights, which is, which is very vital and important to, to have change their perspective to respect women's rights and have women, and to, be, to be able to see women in the top positions. So, uh, that's one of the, the important work that I work is influencing men to change their mentality in their day-to-day -day activities to work for advancement of women. Yeah, and who are these men that you're working with? The organization that I founded uh, is working in the five province of Afghanistan, completely in the western region of Afghanistan. Uh, which is a quarter of the whole country geographically. So there is five provincial governor, there is chief of police, there is um, provincial council head, uh, there is individual influencers who are really, really making the decision. So those are the people that I'm working close with and changing their perspective uh, to work in a way to to help women to be in the decision-making position and also uh, hearing their voice and give them the floor to play their role. Well, you have received all kinds of awards from the Clinton Global Initiative, the State Department, uh, all kinds of international organizations. So I, I want to congratulate you on not just your work, but the fact that, that you've been able to let it be known and people have noticed so much what you're doing. Have you seen, Faraya, have you seen much change in terms of your entree, your access to these policymakers over the years? Yeah, a lot. Um, you know, if I go back to five years ago, uh, that I was, it took me a week, one week to get an appointment with, to meet a governor of the area that I'm working with. But now, as they know that the, the network that I belong with and the supporters that I have around, it took me only two hours to, to give me an appointment. So, and also they learn, if they are not listening to, to us, if they are not sure what they really sh should to do, the, the, the words will go to the higher level. The words go to the, to the network that I belong to that. So they, they know how to deal with, with women, especially they recognize the power. They recognize my organization and the work that I do as a source of power. 
So I don't, I don't know how much they are personally believe, but I think the work that I do with the other civil uh, society actors, we make them accountable. We hold them responsible. Just they have to implement um, women project in a nice way in their day-to-day -day activities. And I have that courage uh, and I'm proud to say that in, the, in one quarter of Afghanistan, in the Western region, violence against women's law, which is newly adapted, is fully implemented. So that is the, the great sign of hope for me, I, I think. So because that is the biggest issue is, is violence against women at the moment. So when, when at least we can stop or reduce in some level in, in, in one part of the country, that's, that's, that's an achievement. Well, you know, I, when you reduce it in one part of the country, it's, it's not just those numbers there, it becomes a model. It's kind of like Rwanda becoming this model. Uh, do you know uh, that the United States, last time I checked, <laughs> so I'm sure it's worse now, we were 97th in the world, 97th in the world in terms of women's representation. We're number five. Stop already. Okay. <laughs> so we've got number one and number five. Hey, listen, you all, I happen to know, because I worked on this, you all are 27% of the lawyer jerk of, of the parliament, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that is the, you know, one of the, um, the, the biggest achievement of uh, women activists and civil society actors that today we are made up 27% of the parliament mm -hmm. of Afghanistan. And also uh, has the first time we have women uh, work as a, as a governor, as a mayor, which is uh, very, very new concept in Afghanistan to see women run a province um, and, and or women as a mayor. So now I think women are women in all, all walks of life, so they are, also prove their ability and they prove, and the good things that the province that is led by a woman for five years, there was less corruption than the other provinces that was leading by men. So the same that the, the woman who was mayor and she was more successful in her day-to-day -day activities than, than, than men. So I'm glad to say that women of Afghanistan prove that despite three decade conflicts, they prove they are capable. They prove they are able to, um, to work shoulder by shoulder with men for, or, or let me just say in one word, to take part of the nation building of Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, what about ministers in the government? Are they, do we, are the women in there also? Yeah, yeah. We have um, out of 30, out of 25 ministry, um, out of 25 ministers, male ministers, three uh, are women. Mm -hmm. So that, that's another achievement that the next generation will learn to see women as a minister, women as a mayor, women as a, as a, mm, a governor. And, and even the, the seats, uh, the reserved seats in the parliament, sometimes we may not have the same voices but it is, it's very important to see those seats for women. The next generation, we will, we will move forward. We will have more than that, the quota that, that, they ha that, that is, uh, it is in the constitution of Afghanistan. And this election, women are already prepared that they are going 
to compete with men, not only women who are going to quota. And even the last election, women were proof in one of the provinces of Afghanistan by the, by the uh, you know, has, uh, according to the, the population of that province, there was supposed to two people should go to the parliament and two for the Senate. Believe me, in an area, there was no foreigner soldier at all. The security was pro providing by the, by the national security. Four people went to the Senate and parliament were, were women. They were competing with men and they were ahead from men. They were the winner, the number one, number second, number third, number four, and it was Nimruz, one of the province of Afghanistan. So women are proof now that they can, they can compete with men and even further the quota. Hopefully in the next election, we will have more women in the parliament and yeah, the Senate. That's great. We would say that that's our New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> we have New Hampshire, one of our states where women all took right. all of the five top seats. That's fabulous. You know, you were talking earlier about violence. I know violence against women, but have you ever had violence as part of your life or a threat of violence in any way? Um, so, uh, yeah, in running shelters, women safe houses, being involved with the cases who run away from terrible situation and run away from a life which is restricted by a warlord, by a gunman, by a guilty person. It's not easy. And running five shelters, Herat is where our main office is, is okay, but the other four provinces are, are quite, uh, you know, the security is not that much good as Herat is. So we have more warlords, we have more um, hardliners and, and people who try to stop the work that, that, that I do. Uh, receiving the threats, uh, phone uh, calls, uh, message is the daily job, the daily work that I'm, I'm involved with that. So sometimes some of the messages are really, really serious. And it make, make, make you scared that you cannot move from, from home. One of the messages that I got and I would like to share with you is that a, a girl come from a terrible situation, from abusive uh, life, abusive husband, managed to run away, and the husband called me to send her back to home without helping her, without name, his fam her family name, uh, member or, or anything. When I didn't listen to him, he started telling me all the information of the car, of the time, when I get off from home, which the color of the car, the time that I get this, the street that I was crossed, and he telling me all the information, include the, the dresses of my, my little son. Oh. And then I, I thought he's just knowing everything to avoid from more, you know, mentally disturbed by his talks, I turn off the phone. And at the midnight, 11 o'clock, it was 11 o'clock at the night, I turn on the phone to get some number because I had to email someone. He called me again. I didn't answer his phone, he texted me, and he wrote to, to that text that, pick up your phone, I know you are awake because the light of your room is on. Imagine, you know, being in a house with, 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 with your children, not having a bodyguard, not having a gun or anything, how scary that, that night would be. 
And I don't know how I spent that, uh, how I spent that night. And in the early morning, went to so many friends, and some of them recommend me to go to the chief of police and explain this story. And when I went, I took an appointment and then went to the police. He listened to me very carefully. And at the end, he said, you are a wonderful woman. You are doing a wonderful job. I know everything. And I'm concerned about the, the problem that you have. What do you need? And I told him only one soldier during the, the night to come to like patrolling my house or stay in my house. For one man, during the day, I can change the road. I can change the car. I can even, even wear burqa. And I can somehow manage by myself. But during the night, I have to come to the same house with my children. And after listening to all, and he said, I'm so sorry that we don't have enough, enough soldiers for our own duty. So I recommend you there is a number of private companies. They are providing soldiers. You should talk to them. 